California theme parks are preparing to reopen amid the COVID-19 pandemic and are being urged to take extra steps to curb the risks associated with a common roller coaster riding activity. Screaming. Hi, you're listening to Write From Karen. My name's Karen. This podcast is about a little bit of everything. My life, my writing, book reviews, politics, and religion. Grab a cup of coffee and get comfortable. I have a lot to say about nothing. That's from an article on upi.com odd news. And that's a real headline. So my question is, how are they going to do that? How do you not scream on a roller coaster? The California Attractions and Parks Association, the trade group representing the state's theme parks, said parks preparing to open in April should take extra steps to make sure guests aren't spreading COVID-19 by screaming on roller coasters. Face covering usage and or modifications to seat loading patterns will be required on amusement park rides to mitigate the effects of shouting. The CAPA also called on the parks to limit activities that involve singing and shouting. California theme parks have been closed since March 2020 and attractions including Disneyland and Universal Studios are preparing to reopen in April. The CAPA guidelines call for the parks to admit only in-state visitors and not to fill the facilities to more than 15% capacity. 15% capacity. Is that even going to pay for the employees that are working those parks? And not to mention you can't scream, you can't shout, you can't sing. So basically they're going to reopen the parks, but you can't have any fun. And logistically, I want to know how that works. So if you're on a roller coaster and you can't scream, so are they going to make you wear a mask? Let's think about that for a minute. You're on a roller coaster and you have a mask on. Is it going to fly off? How are they going to keep it from flying off? Are they going to strap it around your head? Why stop at one? Make make it two. You have double the the protection against any droplets that may fly into your face outside, mind you, in fresh air, going 30, 40 miles per hour, however however fast roller coasters go. Um, So, you know, yeah, it might prevent you from screaming, but it might also prevent you from breathing as well. Yes, it just gets more and more asinine as we continue this crazy pandemic reaction. I don't know about you guys, but I am ready for this craziness to be over. I am so tired of thinking about it. I'm tired of living it. I'm sure you guys are too. It's insane. And I'm sorry to keep harping on this whole COVID pandemic situation. But again, I'm living it every day by working at the hospital. I feel like I have one foot in each world. And When I'm at work, everybody's drank the (laughs) Kool-Aid and I get it. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's a pandemic and it's crazy, but on the other hand, when I leave work and I step back and I think about the logical part of this whole process, it just ceases to make sense. It ceased to make sense 
back in March of last year. Um, after two weeks of slowing the spread. Happy anniversary, by the way. Happy anniversary of one year, a little over one year now, of 15 days to spread the, to uh, prevent the virus or whatever it was. To slow the spread, that's what it was. 15 days to slow the spread. Happy anniversary, everybody. I hope you're celebrating. Perhaps we can celebrate. You know, Dr. Fauci, according to him, if we're all good little boys and girls, we might be able to enjoy 4th of July with our families. Yay! That's cause for celebration. Ah, but not so fast. Dr. Fauci says even though you get the vaccine, you still need to wear your mask. You still need to social distance. Um, you still shouldn't get together with other people. So why get the vaccine? That seems to be the million dollar question. In fact, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but there was a very satisfying confrontation in the Senate the other day between Rand Paul and Dr. Fauci over masks for vaccinated people. I love Rand Paul just because he has the guts to say what we're all thinking. And I don't know about you guys, if you've really been paying attention to Dr. Fauci, then you know what I'm talking about. That man is nothing if not inconsistent. <laughs> he has he comes out with a new recommendation every day. So <clears throat> Republican Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky labeled mask wearing as theater on Thursday during a verbal sparring match with President Joe Biden's chief medical advisor and White House coronavirus guru, Dr. Anthony Fauci. According to CN CNBC, Fauci, the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, appeared before the Senate Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee and entered into a heated debate with Paul, who has long been a critic of lockdowns and wearing masks. The jousting began with Paul quoting studies that show individuals who have been vaccinated or were previously infected with COVID-19 are unlikely to be infected again. Paul then asked Fauci for the, about the medical advisor's past claim that Americans will need to wear masks in 2022. 2022. This nightmare, apparently, according to Dr. Fauci, is far from over. You're telling everybody to wear a mask, whether they've had an infection or a vaccine. What I'm saying is they have immunity and everybody agrees they have immunity. What studies do you have that people that have had the vaccine or have had the infection are spreading the infection? If we're not spreading the infection, isn't it just theater? Paul asked. So in other words, Dr. Fauci, you claim that what you're espousing, what you're trying to get everybody else to do in the country is necessary. When in fact, it's not. And you quote all these scientific studies, so, so to speak. So tell me where you're getting this information. Show me the scientific studies that you're referencing on these recommendations. As Fauci began to dispute Paul's contention, the senator had another jab to throw. If you've had a vaccine and you're wearing two masks, isn't that theater, Paul asked? In other words, aren't you just putting on a show so that people continue to book you? for your controversial, contradictory opinions so you can continue to make money is basically what Paul's asking him. 
No, that's not. Here we go again with the theater, Fauci responded before disputing some of Paul's interpretations of the research he cited. So you can tell that Fauci is getting pretty irritated by Paul's line of questioning. And of course, because who else actually questions Dr. Fauci's expertise? No one's ever really, to my knowledge, asked him, Dr. Fauci, you're citing scientific studies, scientific evidence. Where's the science? Prove it. What studies are you referencing? That's all he's asking. Fauci said that variants of the coronavirus are a good reason for a mask, citing research in South Africa in which some people who have been vaccinated with one type of the virus had no protection against a variant that exists there. So when you talk about reinfection, you've got to make sure you're talking about wild type. I agree with you that you very likely would have protection from wild type for at least six months if you are infected, but we in our country now have variants that are circulating, Fauci said. But Paul was ready with a response. What studies show significant reinfection, hospitalization, and death after either natural infection or the vaccine? It doesn't exist. There is no evidence that there are significant reinfections after vaccine. In fact, I don't think we have had a hospitalization in the United States after the two-week period after the second vaccination. Do you have a death? Do, we, do you have a death in the United States? Paul asked. That's kind of a weird way of asking him, but he's trying to say again, where's your proof? After much back and forth, Paul told Fauci, you're making policy based on conjecture. It isn't based on conjecture, Fauci responded. Mm. Those little temper tantrum there. You've been vaccinated and you parade around in two masks for show, Paul said after more crosstalk. No, Fauci replied before Paul really erupted. You can't get it again. There's virtually 0% chance you're going to get it. And yet you're telling people that have had the vaccine who have immunity, you're defying everything we know about immunity by telling people to wear masks who have been vaccinated, he said. Instead, you should be saying there is no science to say we're going to have a problem from the large number of people being vaccinated. You want to get rid of vaccine hesitancy? Tell them they can quit wearing their mask after they get the vaccine, Paul continued. You want people to get the vaccine? Give them a reward instead of telling them that, that the nanny state's going to be there for three more years and you've got to wear a mask forever. People don't want to hear it. There's no science behind it. The two continue to spar. Well, let me just state for the record that masks are not theater. Masks are protection, Fauci said. Paul argued that if individuals already have immunity, masks are theater. If you already have immunity, you're wearing a mask to give comfort to others, the senator said. I totally disagree with you, Fauci said. Well, of course he does. Because to agree with him would, would be to admit that he's wrong. That he's spouting a bunch of nonsense just to keep people scared and to keep him employed. That's really the crux of it. Let's be honest. Um, so Fauci's argument is we should continue wearing masks because there are variants of the disease out there. Okay, I'll buy that. There's also variants of the, the flu, variants of the cold. Uh, there are variants of multiple viruses that are not that deadly. Do they cause problems? Of course, especially in the vulnerable, especially with people who have comorbidities. Any virus is going to do that. But these viruses have variants. They mutate. Hence the reason why they have a different flu vaccine every year 
to hopefully thwart any infection that you might get from a flu. So by that argument, by that rationale, by that logic, Dr. Fauci is saying that we should wear a mask indefinitely because it's always going to mutate every single year. We cannot continue living this way. We have to find better ways of coping with this. Locking down the country and and scaring people half to death to the point where they can't even leave their house is not acceptable. So I'm sorry, Dr. Fauci, but you're just going to have to come up with a different a different line, a different conjecture. And that's just it, folks. He's, he's promoting all of these policies. He's promoting a way for us to live based on conjecture. That's, that's pretty crazy that we're listening to this man who has no scientific evidence, though he claims he does. And Bran was the only one brave enough to bring it up and to actually question him on it. And say, Dr. Fauci, you claim there's science, scientific backing, scientific studies that back up what you say. Prove it. Show me, show me the money. Put your money where your mouth is. What scientific studies are you talking about? Well, the fact that Fauci cannot produce these scientific studies and only gets mad when he calls it theater, because it is theater, and the truth hurts, I think that's a pretty telling conversation between these two gentlemen and I would I I mean it makes me wonder how many media outlets this conversation this video has aired on how many people really know that Dr. Fauci's full of a bunch of hot air that's a nice way of putting it I don't know I for one am completely and over Dr. Fauci I'm done with the man. He drives me crazy. He's been inconsistent from the get go. Why we continue to listen to this man is beyond my comprehension. And speaking of this dreaded COVID, did you get your stimulus check? Did you get your money back? Because basically, that's what it is. You pay taxes, the government's giving it back to you. So thank you, Mr. Government, for giving me my money back. That's awesome. You shouldn't have taken it to begin with, but hey, at least I have a little bit back. But the point of bringing this up is that, let me ask you a question. It's a human question. There's really no right or wrong answer to this. But if you were being paid to stay home, you were being paid more in unemployment benefits and these periodic stimulus checks than you would working 40 plus hours at a job. Would you just stay home? Would, you, would that motivate you to get out and find a job and do something? Or would you just want to stay home and collect the checks? Again, there's no right or wrong answer to this. But it is a human question. I wouldn't want to do that. I don't think it's the right thing to do. But I probably would, because why wouldn't I? It's a human thing to do. It makes sense to be able to stay home and do what I want and get paid. 
I mean, that's basically what I'm trying to do with my Patreon, setting that up, doing what I love to do and get paid to do it. So I understand where it's coming from. And the government, once again, is trying to give us a solution to a problem they created. Is unemployment paying more than a job? Restaurants and small businesses are struggling to find employees as the government continues to provide so much financial assistance in response to the coronavirus pandemic that it can be more cost effective for some to remain unemployed. Every small business and small restaurant is hurting right now because the government is paying people to stay home, basically. Illinois restaurant owner um, commented. Staffing is impossible. It's impossible to find anyone that wants to come to work, he said. Morgan Thaler, who owns two restaurants in Decanter, said uh, that even though he has had ads out looking for employees for weeks, he hasn't received many applications. The government has made it too easy, just basically all the stimulus money and then the extra money on the unemployment, and then extending the unemployment for people that have just been on unemployment, he said. They make more money to stay home than work. We placed a few ads on the internet and have not gotten a lot of responses, so we're going to try a couple of other avenues and see what we can do because these are good positions. This situation has placed a lot of pressure on the businesses and their current employees. Morgenthaler said his staff has to work 12 to 14 hour shifts just to keep the restaurants open. President Joe Biden signed a $1.9 trillion COVID-19 relief bill on March 11th that provided significant financial aid for many Americans. Now, that's not exactly true. Yes, he did sign a $1.9 trillion COVID relief bill, but only a small percentage of that bill is actually going to COVID-19 relief. The majority of that bill is going to states to help bail them out because those blue states have incompetent governors who have made bad decisions and their states are going bankrupt. So once again, the good taxpayer, the taxpayers of, of all these other states that have, have been responsible and done a good job of keeping their state under control have to fork out the money and help these states that have made bad decisions and will continue to make bad decisions, by the way. Because why wouldn't they? There are no consequences for their bad decisions. They make a bad decision. Oh, well, the taxpayer will just bail us out. Okay. Under the American Rescue Plan, people who receive unemployment benefits are offered a new tax waiver on their first $10,200 of benefits. The package also provides a $300 weekly enhancement that will be available until September 6th. Most Americans are also eligible to receive up to $1,400 in direct payments from the government. This historic legislation is about rebuilding the backbone of this country, Biden said before signing the legislation, and giving people in this nation, working people, middle class folks, the people who built this country a fighting chance. The bill was passed into law without a single Republican vote. As it should be. Because Republicans know this is just bullcrap. They have no interest in bailing out the working people. Uh, don't forget, they caused this problem, okay? We're not in the economic state that we're in today because of COVID, the disease. 
were in this state because the government responded poorly and they overreacted. And then they didn't know how to dig themselves out of it. So instead of digging themselves out of it and reversing this asinine order, way of thinking, restrictions, they're just throwing money at it, as they always do. The government never rescinds a policy or a decision they've made. That would never do. Instead, they're just throwing money at it. And where does that money come from? The taxpayers, the working class, the middle of the road people. So yeah, it's just it's so maddening, this continues to happen. And we allow it to continue to happen. We keep we keep voting these people in office. And it's the same crap over and over and over again. Fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, or shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Shame on all of us. It's crazy. But it just, it just infuriates me. Because, you know, and then if they can't get enough from the taxpayers, they start printing the money. You can't do that without repercussions. At some point, we're going to have an inflation. Gas prices are already going up. I don't know if you've noticed. But, you know, that's because Biden's in office and it has to be all about green energy because as long as we're printing money and inflation goes up and gas goes up, well, then what are people going to do? They're going to naturally respond by trying to find alternative ways to either not pay as much or not burn as much gas, which would be electric cars and hybrids and I'm not against those at all. I think they're fantastic. I would love to actually have an electric car if they were convenient, if they were easily accessible. Because having an electric car means you still have to charge it. And when you charge it, you have to use fossil fuels to generate the energy to charge it. So you're really not going green by driving an electric car. Truly, you're not. So if they could come up with a way to make it possible for you to drive an electric car without burning fossil fuels, then it truly would be clean and I'd be all for it. But we're not there yet. So another thing that really irritates me about that whole article is that Biden, the Democrats, the left, the far left, I should say, I feel like anymore the Democrats and the the liberals and the far left are just, they're technically part of the same party, but they're not really together. Um, I feel like the far left has gone so far left (laughs) that even the liberals don't even recognize them anymore. But basically by extending unemployment and sending people checks, they're trying to persuade people to stay home. They don't want people to go back to work. They want people to rely on them to take care of them so that they can come back and say, you know, if you get a job, you don't get that unemployment check anymore. And, um, you know, if you want me to continue supporting you, well, you're going to have to, you're going to have to support me. I'll scratch your back, but you got to scratch my back. So when it comes time to vote, I need you to vote. I need you to vote us to stay in office. 
So in essence, it's, it's blackmail almost by making people dependent on the government. And sure, that's the easy way out, but it's, it never usually ends very well. But anyway, I understand why people would want to do it, though, because it is a human response to just stay home and have someone pay you. I get it. I don't agree with it. I think ultimately it hurts people's morale and their sense of purpose. But I suppose that's the whole purpose. Uh, let's see. What else can we talk about today? Oh, the crisis on the border. And it is definitely a crisis. Um, Biden started it. There's no way around it. He's the one that encouraged people to come to the border. The border's open, he says. Come on in. We'll let you in. The more votes for us. That's why they're doing it. It's not because they care. I don't know when people are going to understand that the government does not care about you. They only care about your money and your vote. That's it. Anyway, so now we have quite the mess down at the border. And there was an interview at the south border here. Um, the southern border. And during this interview, in the background, there was a boat of refugees coming on shore. And let's see, it says a video interview published this week by Breitbart with Texas GOP Representative Chip Roy. The congressman had gone to the southern border in Laredo to show the depth of the crisis there. He would get an unplanned visual aid in the form of human smugglers who interrupted the interview as they illegally entered the country. <laughs> the border is a popular location for news conferences these days for members of both parties. However, nowadays there's a bit less of New York Democratic Representative Alex Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez weeping beside fences, which is what she did when Trump was in office to be overly dramatic. And then they panned out and there was nobody there. That's just a parking lot. Roy instead was trying to shine a light on the kind of chaos that was happening down at the border right now. And he managed to do it, if only by accident. As he gave his remarks to Breitbart along the Rio Grande, the smugglers were crossing the river. The area in which they entered wasn't secured by a wall or a fence, just a shallow portion of the river. Run for the ladder! Run for the ladder! An individual in the video told other migrants as they ran north toward a Laredo mall. It's unclear who the individual is, but Breitbart reported that he was a cartel-connected human smuggler. The area of the smuggling attempt does not have any physical barriers such as fencing or walls, making the shallow waters of the Rio Grande the only obstacle, Breitbart reported. Meanwhile, the outlet reported that a group of people were about to be arrested they would instead split up. As U.S. Border Patrol agents rushed to intercept the group, the smuggler from the river yelled at them to run back. Some were able to return to the river and make their way back into Mexico while authorities detained two males, Breitbart reported. Federal law enforcement reported they were able to track down and detain over 100 migrants who had allegedly entered the country illegally in a matter of hours. The Roy, the Roy video can be seen on Breitbart's 
website, but the outlet shared a clip of the Laredo action on Facebook. Now, of course, this isn't the kind of migrant influx the Biden administration wanted, and it has tried to discourage these migrants from coming in the most desultory of manners. Guess what? They came anyway in the most predictable manner possible. So once again, (laughs) we got a reporter at the border who's talking about illegal immigration and coincidentally, who knows? Surely this wasn't staged. Maybe it was staged. I don't know. But you got a boat of migrants coming in on camera in the background trying to get into the country while they're talking about it on camera. <laughs> this is like when the the reporter was reporting on Antifa BLM that they were they were peacefully protesting. They weren't violent. What are you talking about? What's everybody talking about? And then the background of this reporter there's a burning building literally on fire. It's just it's priceless. I love it. But I do wonder how many traditional news outlets you're going to hear this on. I bet you're not going to hear it on many. Uh, This, what I'm reading from is from the TatumReport.com if you want to look it up. And of course, as usual, I will leave show notes so you can follow these links for yourself. All right, so we are about the halfway mark. Let's talk about the book review for this week. Hang tight. So the book this week is by Mary Stone. And I don't know if you've ever read any of her stuff, but I am digging her stuff. She's a good writer. She writes really good stories. This is Winter's Curse. It's Winter Black's story number two. I highly recommend the first one, the first Winter Black story. She's a very interesting character. She's got some interesting things going on in her life that um, kind of subplots that are super interesting. And I'm looking forward to learning more about in future stories. So this one, let me read you the blurb. Knowing someone will die is the worst curse. A bank robbery turns into a blood trail as a pair of unhinged masterminds hack their way through a list of the most notorious U.S. heists. The copycat crimes emulating famous robberies escalate as the FBI work with local law enforcement. But the federal team has problems of its own. Sun Ming, Winter Black's partner and nemesis, has her own agenda. While Winter can't keep her mind off the preacher, the notorious serial killer who murdered her parents and holds the key to finding her missing brother. To make matters worse, Winter must attempt to hide her ever-growing abilities as the gift the preacher gave her years before turns into a curse that threatens to destroy her body and soul. Chapter 1. Mary Stone's Winter's Curse Ashlyn Fritas was running late for work, but she stopped and bought her usual Starbucks non-fat decaf latte anyway. What was the good of working your way up to branch manager if you couldn't come in a few minutes late once in a while? Vanilla-scented steam wafted up from her cup, and she sipped at the hot coffee on her way out the door. Her blue, sensible height heels clacked at a staccato tattoo on the concrete sidewalk as she made her way next door to the American Bank and Trust. 
Lenny, the aging security guard, beat her there as usual. His buttons strained against his dark blue shirt as he sat up in his chair in a rush, brushing Pop-Tarts crumbs from his belly with a sheepish smile. He got up from his usual post where he lounged in a chair beside the door. He was nothing if not consistent. Ashlyn gave him a cheerful hello as he unlocked the front door and waved her through. He grinned wide enough to show a missing black molar. Good morning, boss lady. Good morning, security man. More consistency. The greeting had been the routine for the last 12 years. The boss lady part, though, had only been added eight months ago when the promotion she had worked her ass off for finally came through. She passed the empty teller cubbies and hurried through a hallway on the other side that led to the business offices. Her own was the largest. She still got a little thrill walking into the nice-sized windowed room with its big cherry desk and sleek computer. She worked hard for this office and adored every part of it, from the potted majesty palm to the printer-scanner combo she didn't have to share with any of her other co-workers. Ashlyn set her coffee next to her keyboard and shrugged off her navy linen blazer, hanging it on the back of her office chair. Then she booted up her computer for what would be the last time. In two hours and 12 minutes, she'd be dead. At 9.56, the first gunshot echoed through the building. At first, Ashlyn thought a car had backfired. She shot an automatic glance out her window toward El Camino Real, where traffic sat motionless at a red light. Before she could even scan the street, she heard Louise, their newest teller, scream. The high, shrill voice, the high, shrill noise was cut off almost as soon as it begun. Ashlyn stood up swiftly, her chair rolling backward to thump against a filing cabinet. Her heart fluttered in her chest, and her palms went damp in an instant. Another shot rang out, and there was a grunt and a heavy thud just outside her office door. She tried to push it open with one shaking hand, but the door bumped against something heavy. She shoved harder, but the door wouldn't open more than about a foot. In the open space, a spreading pool of red marred the once freshly vacuumed carpet. Ashlyn backed up, bile rising in the back of her throat. Black dots swirled in her vision, and for one horrible moment, she thought she might pass out. Come on, Ashlyn, her words sounded pathetic and weak to her own ears, especially in the confines of her office. She trained for this, she reminded herself. She swallowed hard. Security seminars, online training classes provided by corporate, where she'd had to watch low-budget, poorly-acted videos about what to do in case of a robbery. Needless to say, the tacky training videos hadn't prepared her for the sight of Lenny on the hallway floor, staring up at the ceiling with a surprised expression on his lifeless eyes. She looked out of the window for a half second, longing to break out and lose herself in the blessed normalcy of the downtown Monday morning bustle. The urge to climb out and run as fast as she could, leave this situation behind, almost overwhelmed her. But she couldn't. In a burst of movement that left her short, frosted, blonde bob swinging, Ashlyn grabbed the phone on her desk and dialed 911 as a precaution. The three tellers had call buttons below their countertops, but as the emergency response operator buzzed in her ear, she heard one of them call her name. It was Greg, she realized, his voice high and frightened. For a moment she froze. An image of her husband Robert popped into her mind the way he'd smiled at her over his granola and yogurt that morning, still as handsome and charming at 58 as he had been at 24. 
He'd sold his business for enough to keep them comfortable for the rest of their lives and retired. He'd been bothering her to do the same. He could afford to take care of them both and had started making noises about buying an RV and doing some traveling. She set the phone gently on her desk as the teeny voice, teeny sounding voice of the 911 operator repeated a question. She wished she'd done as Robert had asked and she'd been so proud of her new job. She struggled to hold back tears and squared her shoulders. There were others in the office. Someone else would have called 911 by now. The police were already on their way. She had to believe that. But she was the branch manager. She couldn't wait for them. I'm coming out, she yelled, trying to sound calm. Greg, my door is stuck. If you could help me, please. Go ahead, she heard a woman's muffled voice order. And hurry up. Too soon, the door swung open a bit wider, and Lenny's body was rolled away from the other side. When she heard the sound of miserable retching, her own stomach tightened in a sympathetic cramp. She stepped out through the widened gap, trying not to think about the way her shoes squelched in the wet carpeting. "'I'm sorry, Mrs. Fridas,' Greg moaned, looking younger than his twenty-six years. His dark brown eyes were huge in his pale face. His thin arms trembled as he pulled Lenny's limp body further away from the door. They told me to get the manager on duty. It's okay, she gave him a weak smile and jerked her head to the right, motioning for Greg to go further in the back of the bank. He did, scuttling low and hunched over like he was afraid he'd get a bullet between his shoulder blades. She'd hoped he'd warned the other employees, find some place to hide. Stiffening her spine, Ashlyn stepped through the doorway, past, pasting on her most pasting on her most professional smile, while consciously meaning to. I'm Ashlyn Friedis. Can I help you? Before her, on the other side of the counter in the empty lobby, stood two Nixons. A male and a female, both intruders, were tall, around six feet. They were dressed in business casual clothes that wouldn't seem out of place if she passed them on the street outside but their faces were covered by leering, leering Richard Nixon rubber masks. Her older brother had worn a similar one for trick-or-treating one year when they were kids, just to annoy their dad, a die-hard Republican. Through the eye holes in the masks, two pairs of eyes glittered at her. The man's were bright blue, the expression in them unreadable. The woman's were brown, lit with glee. I need you to help these young ladies fill a bag for us. Fast, the man gestured, gestured toward, with a large pistol toward a big black canvas tote. No die packs or I hunt down your fucking family, the woman added with a snarl. And don't tell me you don't have the cash available because I checked your system before I got here. I know how much you've got, down to the penny. Of course. Who was this woman that she, that she could have gotten into their system? Or was she bluffing? Ashlyn's mind whirled with the questions. Ashlyn's hand shook as she punched in the code to unlock the cash dispensing machines at each teller station. Her hands moved in awkward, jerky motions. The whole situation felt surreal. Empty these, she told Louise and Chantel. Both women looked near collapse. Chantel was racked with silent sobs, tears rolling down her rounded cheeks. She was six months pregnant. Ashlyn hushed her, keeping her voice gentle with effort, worried that the girl's crying would irritate the thieves enough to shoot her. Chantel stifled a shudder. Ashlyn looked up at the, two, at the female Nixon. The rest is in another room. Female Nixon nodded toward her partner. 
Take him with you and don't try anything or I'll have to kill a couple more of your employees, Miss Branch Manager. I'll accompany you. The man's voice was smooth and polite, almost kind, with a hint of an Irish accent. His eyes, though, were so icy, a bright, cold blue that held no emotion. She didn't for a moment doubt he has he was any less dangerous than his cohort. He, too, carried a gun, and he grabbed the canvas tote. He gestured in a parody of politeness for her to lead the way. She opened the locked door with her cash was kept and fumbled to drop handfuls of, of paper-banded 20s, 50s, and 100s into the tote he held out. Hurry up, sweetheart, the man murmured. I'm afraid my associate is running out of patience. Task finished, they headed back to the lobby. Mel Nixon loaded the money from the cash machines into the bag and then swung the heavy tote over his shoulder. Ready to go, love? He asked the female Nixon. Thank you, God. They'll leave now. Ashlyn Fritas almost sagged in relief. She didn't care if they got away. She wanted them to get away. When the police showed up, who knew what would happen? They'd be taken hostage, maybe killed, like poor Lenny. Her legs felt near collapse, too rubbery to hold her upright anymore. She blocked Lenny's fate from her mind with deliberate effort. We'll leave, the woman replied. There's just one more thing. She pivoted the pistol at Ashlyn, who stood only a few feet away. Wait! The man took a half step forward, but he was too slow. Almost at the same moment, there was a deafening roar, a bright flash. Instant darkness followed. Blindly, Ashlyn felt herself being propelled backward, slamming against something hard. A woman's shriek echoed through her head before it faded into silence. It was strange. She didn't feel any pain at all. Didn't feel anything at all. Ashlyn Fritas, branch manager of the American Bank and Trust in San Clementine, California, was dead before she hit the floor.
from Winter's Curse by Mary Stone, the second Winter Black story in her series, and I loved it. I gave it five stars, and I'm looking forward to reading more about winter. I loved how this book was set up. First of all, I think Mary Stone's a good writer. She, she had me on the edge of my seat. I was right there in that bank, and I... I died along with Ashlyn. <laughs> um, I loved how she started this story from the victim's perspective. I thought that was super cool, super interesting, and I'm definitely going to do that in an upcoming story. And I liked, I like how she writes from multiple points of view. Now, I know that that gets, uh, there are some people that are kind of, back and forth on that. Some people really like points, the multiple points of view. Some people are not real crazy about it. I personally think it adds a richness to the story. Um, it gives it more, I don't know, it's just more interesting. Um, it's not just from one perspective, it's from many perspectives. And you get a different perspective when you get to read from, you get to get into the mind of the antagonist. And in this particular story, this woman that Winter's up against, she is brilliant. She's a brilliant woman. And she's just, she's, she's always two steps ahead of Winter. Winter does a good job, though, of staying right on her tail. Now, the man that is the, the antagonist in this story, opposite of our very strong woman here. I can't remember this, the killer's name. Uh, oh, it's Heidi. It's Heidi. Um. The man that is Heidi's accomplice, accomplice, I can't say that word, accompanist, partner, <laughs> we'll just go with that. Um, he is actually doing this under duress. I don't feel like I'm really offering any spoilers by giving you that. It's, it's indicated early on that he's Heidi's partner uh, under duress. And she's got some interesting information on him, basically blackmailing him into helping her. Um, the The question mark for me, though, in this story was I felt like Stone may have, she could have done a better job of giving us some kind of reason as to Heidi's, what, like, what's her motivation behind pulling all these stunts off? And she's copying um, infamous robberies. Um, and, and for what? Why? That's never really made apparent. At least it, it wasn't to me and maybe I missed it. But what was her motivation? I, I don't, that really wasn't clear. So even though it was a great story and a great ending to the story, I was very puzzled as to the motivation for the antagonist. So in that respect, I lost a little bit of, um, not interest, but... It just diluted the story a little for me. I would have liked to have known what her motivation was. What made her plan so meticulously all these years to carry off all these great crimes for what? I mean, yes, she was crazy, 
but I don't know that that was her motivation. Um, she was too smart for that. So anyway, other than that big question mark, uh, it was a great story. And this time around, Winter is paired up with Sun Ming, who is also a very smart cop. And the two women do not get along at all. And that dynamic is really fun to watch, to read about throughout the story. Um, again, Winter has a, has a, like a love triangle. She has a partner who is very good looking, um, who is also interested in her as well. And so they're kind of playing cat and mouse between the two of them. Nothing real romantic, but again, there's a lot of undertones. Again, I appreciated Stone's writing about that. Um, that's why I think I really like this genre so much, this romantic thriller genre. I just, uh, it's not really about the romance, but romance is in it, or at least in this case implied with the promise of something more later. And I'm looking forward to that uh, development. And then there's her mentor, who is a little older than her. Um, he's also interested in her, but they're both holding each other at arm's length. And it's just another interesting dynamic. And of course, the two men you know, they know each other are interested in her. And, you know, they, they do what guys do and get all, you know, play the macho card or whatever. Uh, so again, I'm interested in reading more about that triangle as well. So bravo to Mary Stone. Love your winter, your winter black uh, character. And unbeknownst to me, Stone has quite a few series of books out and I'm looking forward to reading each and every one because so far she is not disappointed. So highly recommend you get into some Mary Stone stories if you like the the romance thriller mystery genre. I think she's a really good read and I'm looking forward to future reads for her. Um, I have a few story ideas for you this week. Let's see a couple of funny ones. This one is last paycheck from ex employer shows up as oil covered pennies. This is from that upi.com odd news. I love this website because it's I mean, really, truth is stranger than fiction. And I, I like reading about this kind of weird stuff. A Georgia man who was expecting his final paycheck from a former employer said the money instead arrived in the form of 500 pounds of oil covered pennies dumped in his driveway in the middle of the night. Andreas Flatten said he submitted his two weeks notice in writing in November and Miles Walker, the owner of Walker Luxury Auto Works in Peachtree City, had a noticeably negative reaction. He gets up, puts his hands on his head, walks out the door, and disappears for like an hour. Flatten, who said he left the job due to a toxic work environment, said he was still owed $915, which the owner told him would be delivered in January. He said the owner accused him of damages when he called to inquire about the check not arriving at his door, so he contacted Georgia's Department of Labor. Flatten said the money then showed up as 500 pounds of oil-covered pennies that were dumped in his driveway in the middle of the night. Flatten's girlfriend posted a video to Instagram showing the messy pile of pennies when they showed up outside the home. I have nowhere to put them. I had no idea what I was going to do. Like, how do I get money from pennies? Flatten said. <laughs> because they're pennies. 
in its currency. Walker said he couldn't recall if he dumped the pennies at Flatten's house. It doesn't matter. He got paid. That's all that matters, Walker said. Flatten said the pennies are currently being stored in his garage while he works on cleaning them so they can be cashed in. (laughs) It's kind of a petty thing to do, huh? Now, I mean, the employee is saying that he left because of a toxic work environment. Take that with a grain of salt. Who knows what that really means? Um, I feel like there's more to this story than the employer just being petty. But this kind of goes back to what I was talking about earlier about employers, small businesses, probably just being beside themselves with the absolute nightmare they have right now of not only hiring people who basically don't want to work, but just want to get paid. Because let's face it, that's the work ethic we're dealing with nowadays. But they can't, they can't even get applicants at all because everybody is getting paid to stay home. So they're struggling, their business is struggling. It's probably a nightmare having a small business right now. And my heart goes out to the small business owners who must be just stressed out right now. I'm so sorry you're having to go through this. But I thought it was an interesting story. Um, Who knows, maybe it'll end up on my blog. (laughs) More on that in a minute. But anyway, I thought that was an interesting story. And then here's one. Uh, I feel like, I mean, it's, this is just happenstance, but I thought this would make kind of an interesting short story as well. Bridal parties limo catches fire on way to Las Vegas church. Now that's not a sign. I don't know what is. (laughs) That's got to be a bad omen, right? A bridal party's trip to a Las Vegas church was delayed when their limousine caught fire on the way to the venue. Las Vegas Fire and Rescue said the limousine was traveling on Interstate 15 southbound between Sahara and Spring Mountain when an occupant, a bride on the way to her wedding, smelled something burning. The bridal party noticed moments later that smoke was coming from beneath the driver's seat and the vehicle pulled over so the occupants could evacuate. The vehicle was soon completely engulfed in flames. Witness Jay Hawk captured video of the limo burning while the bridal party stands nearby. VIP Limousines of Nevada, the company that owns the vehicle, said a replacement limo was quickly sent to the scene to take the bride and her party to the rest of the way to the Little Church of the West for the ceremony. Police said the fire is believed to have been caused by a mechanical issue. Um, again, I can think of a story idea for this for this as well. But yeah, bad omen for sure. That poor bride. <laughs> She's probably thinking, oh my gosh, this can't bode well for our for our marriage. But again, another interesting idea if you're looking for something. Again, this is the uh, upi.com slash odd news. I love this site. Again, truth is stranger than fiction if you're ever looking for some idea of, for our story ideas, fiction ideas. Okay. Speaking of that, um, I have an announcement. I don't, did I talk about this last time? I really don't remember. I have been working on a Patreon account and for, for writers, fiction writers, reading fiction, writing fiction, and having fun is basically the, the catchphrase, if you will. I think actually my, my banner says, uh, reading fiction, writing stories, and having fun, something like that. Anyway, it's for writers, anybody who loves fiction. Um, I'm very, very close to going live. Patreon has already approved my Patreon page. So that hurdle's been jumped. And 
I have three tiers if you're interested in checking it out. I'll leave a link to the in the show notes. Um, because by the time this goes out, I'm pretty sure my Patreon's going to be live. I would like to go ahead and test it out a little bit, though, um, before that gets to that stage. But anyway, three tiers. So the basic tier is $3 a month. It's the key to the door. You get into Patreon and uh, you have access to some behind the scenes posts and content, questions, conversations, that kind of thing. And then uh, peer two is silver visionaries. I'm calling all of my tiers visionaries because I feel like if you're a creative person, you're creating something out of nothing, then you are a visionary. And so my silver visionaries is $5 a month. And you get uh, an invitation to my Discord server, which I've been having so much fun setting up. And there we will, um, let's see, you're going to get some more behind the scenes. We're going to have a bunch of, we'll have like a weekly live chat. Um, We will, let me pull up my tears because I kind of forgot (laughs) what what I've said on there. Uh, There's quite a few things. Let me pull it up real fast. Hold on. Okay. Silver Visionaries. Discord invite, patron only Q&As, weekly Discord live chat, bi-monthly writing sprints on Discord. That that would be a lot of fun to kind of promote, you know, kind of um, uh, get everybody writing. Uh, Suggest subjects to talk about on this podcast and access to the video of this podcast, which is what you're watching right now. And then my top tier is my VIP visionaries. And I'm going to limit that to about 30 people at this point in time. I really want a smaller group of people for this tier. Um, You get, again, it's Discord private community. We have a whole section on my Discord server just for the VIPs. Um, Patreon recognition on my podcast. Polls to pick the monthly book club book. And then, of course, we'll have a monthly book club where we talk about, we'll break down the story by characters and settings and premise and all that good stuff so we can learn from other writers, so we can apply that to our own writing. Um, And maybe access to drafts in my works in progress as well. And then I think the piece de la resistance, um, we could maybe form a critique group where we could swap work and offer critiques and edits suggestions and things like that on our works in progress. So, you know, if you're looking for beta readers or a critique group or something like that, I feel like the VIP visionaries might be a good group for you. And again, it'll be kind of a close knit group where we get to know each other more on a personal basis. So if you're interested, if you're a writer, or you like, you know, you want to join a book club, you don't have to necessarily be a writer, you can be a lover of reading as well. Um, please consider joining my Patreon. It's a great way to also support me and um, the content that I put out there. And I appreciate every single one of you. No pressure. You know, if you want, you obviously you can cancel at any time. Um, so you might just come over and check it out. And give it a month or two or three. <laughs> um, and we can have a lot of fun on there. So um, I hope you're interested. And if you are, that link invitation will be on my writefromkaren.com blog. That's W-R-I-T-E from Karen.com. If you're interested in learning more about the Patreon, I'll be posting more about that soon. 
and I'm really excited to get it started. And I hope I hope people are interested. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I am personally part of a few of Patreon uh, groups as well. And I've been having a lot of fun with what they offer. And um, anyway, I just think it'll be fun. I hope you're interested. So uh, one last thing. And I'll let you go. I know this is getting long. Coming up on an hour. <laughs> I seem to time it just right. Um, April Camp NaNoWriMo is coming up for all of you writers out there if you're interested. NaNoWriMo stands for National Novel Writing Month. The biggest challenge is in November where you are asked or you're challenged to write 50,000 words in 30 days. And but they have uh, some sister challenges called Camp NaNoWriMo's in April and July. And they're different in that you can set your own goals, your own word count, you can edit pages, whatever you want to do. It's, it's really, it's open to interpretation. And I really want to do this in April. And I, my goal is to maybe write a short story a week. So before short stories, um, my goal is 25,000 words. I don't know if I'm going to make that or not. I'm going to try. Um, but I, I think it would be fun to maybe do a video of um, like a writing, write with me kind of video where I'm filming myself writing. We have writing sprints via video. And, um, and then you can see what I wrote during that writing sprint video time, however you want to phrase it. Um, then you'll have access to that and you'll be able to read what I wrote. So in essence, we're all going through Camp NaNoWriMo together. And again, uh, my Discord server, whether you're a silver or VIP visionary, would be a great place to offer support and exchange ideas for Camp NaNoWriMo in April and July. And then, of course, the big one in November. But anyway, that's coming up soon. I'll be posting more about that on my blog as well. I hope you'll participate. If you're participating, let me know what you're doing. I always find it so interesting to know what other people you know, how they kind of approach these challenges and, and if they're, you know, um, if they've ever won any in the past and expectations for the one coming up. So um, anyway, I'm going to stop it there. I'm sure you're tired of hearing my voice. <laughs> I appreciate each and every one of you so, so much. And um, I, again, I've filmed this podcast and you can watch this on my Silver Visionaries uh, tier on my Patreon when it comes out soon, <laughs> coming soon, coming soon to a computer near you. So have a great week and uh, be alert. Don't be anxious. And I will look forward to talking to you next week. Thanks so much, guys. Bye.